Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your co-host, Marcus Grodi, joined by my son, John Mark. Hello, John Mark. Hey, Dad. How's it going today? Good, 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 good. I do that greeting because we're not in the same room. Uh, technology, <laughs> technology allows us to, uh, to do programs like this, and it uh, allows me a great opportunity to join with my son, John Mark, to reflect on some scriptures. And it's been a great pleasure. Those of you that are joining us today, I hope you've listened to the previous programs because during the last couple of months, John Mark and I have been uh, slowly working through a list that St. Cyprian compiled when he was doing his treatise on the Lord's Prayer. And he arrived at the, um, at the phrase, thy will be done that we pray in the Lord's Prayer, most of us once a day, if not more. And he talks about the fact that that phrase is not so much of that God's will be done, but we accept the reality that God's will will be done. The issue is more, will it be done in our lives? And so he's put together this list of um, virtues, if you will, or characteristics uh, that we need to uh, seek to develop in our life, seek to aim at, so that we can better know the will of God, discern his will both in our life as well as in our world, and then by grace be empowered to do it. And that's always a free act. I make that emphasis because I know that from my non-Catholic Christian past, that there was a different understandings of how the God's grace works in our life and whether we, to what extent we are free to respond or not. And I've come to recognize both through my pastoral work as well as my life as an evangelical and then a Catholic Christian is that in the mystery of God's will, he certainly has a plan but the mystery is that he gives us complete freedom to respond. We aren't puppets. Um, everyone has freedom to respond to the grace. The grace may open our heart and our mind and our intellect uh, in, in almost irresistible ways, I would have said as a Calvinist. But still, in the mystery of that, is our freedom to respond. Which, for example, is why, as you get ready, John Mark, to, to launch your new program in Deep in Christ, we recognize that our Lord has called us to abide in Him, which implies that we have the freedom to abide or not. Right? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's, it's always a choice. Uh, the being in Christ, that initial act, that it all comes by grace. And this is the mystery that we just live with. You know, we don't really know how. We can't imagine, we can't necessarily conceptualize how grace and free will work. But we, we accept them as we do in any good story. Any good story involves both a provident author who makes sure that it works out in the end, as well as characters that are free, whose decisions have real weight, real importance, real significance. And so the, the abiding in Christ, it's its not just, um, it is a, an ongoing series of acts of our will, 
But also, and this is crucial, another aspect of being Catholic is understanding that part of the point of this whole process is not just for us to do X, Y, or Z, to check boxes to get into heaven, but it's to be transformed by God's grace into the kind of people who would want to be there, who could who can stand up and face our Lord. We're not those sorts of people now. Through our trials and tribulations, you know, through the things that we, we suffer, we offer up, and through the choices that we make, even the half-hearted ones, to, to walk with God, we're transformed. Again, by His grace, we're transformed. Yeah, yeah. Part of saying by His grace is our way of of uh, humbly recognizing that everything we have is from Him, because He said, "Apart from Me, you can do nothing." No one comes to the Father but by me. By me, the Lord said. So when we say it was God's grace, we recognize that. Um, and that's a way of affirming that it's been his work in our life. Uh, but we also recognize, on the other hand, that we had to respond to that. But uh, the moment we start thinking that it was us, we also recognize that our ability to respond came from grace. So this is a great cha chain of mysteries of the work yeah. of God's grace. But that yet, on the other hand, that's why, like this the fathers of the church, St. Cyprian, as well as Augustine, emphasized that we receive these graces, but now we are to live them out. The whole book of Ephesians is that way. Chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians is essentially about what happens when you're baptized and you become a member of the body of Christ. But then chapters 4, 5, and 6 are, okay, now that you're a new creation in Christ and you're a part of the family, now live it out in marriage or in work or in the church. That's a part of our act. So when we want to act in obedience, we need to know what God wants us to do. And as you said last week, John Mark, I remember you emphasizing that there are some things you begin with that we know are, <laughs> we, 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 the Ten Commandments are not an option. Yeah, we know there are some set things that are true in God's will that are true for every single one of us. And, uh, uh, you know, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's a given. Our call to love God is a given. But knowing the will of God then goes beyond that. It, it made, as I was driving around for get lunch today before this program and I'm out in my car and I'm driving down the road and there's cars going every and I'm in a parking lot or I go through a, and I look at the people and in the today's topic struck me the 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 theme where we have arrived in Cyprian's list today is the phrase clinging tenaciously to his love and I thought about that as I was out and around seeing people walk or, you know, a guy driving next to me in his car wearing a mask. You know, we're in crazy times. Or, you know, all these, the way our world has changed. What does it mean to cling tenaciously to the love of God? And I'm going to, John Mark, you're the trained philosopher. I'm well, just, I'm just. I get nervous every time you say that. <laughs> well, I know. Well, you studied philosophy in college. I studied engineering before I went to seminary. So, 
But and I, you know, you've yeah, had the. Yeah. When I think about you studying philosophy, you've been challenged with a lot of different ideas that philosophers have uh, posited to understand life, understand truth, and understand the way we live. You know, and and uh, so, but to me, this is a, an elusive topic. What is God's love? If we're to cling tenaciously to God's love, and you're out and around in your car, your bicycle, walking in the world, what is God's love? What do you think? Well, I think the, the first and greatest lesson of philosophy is to recognize when you've come across a mystery and to not presume to be able to exhaust it. Uh, <laughs> I think this is one of those. Just as we can't, uh, we recognize as, as Catholics in the Western world, we recognize we can't... Um, we got to be careful even making uh, positive uh, attributions of who God is. We can say definitely who God is not, but, but when we want to try to come to understand who God is in a positive sense, we're met with many mysteries. Yeah. And it's best just to, to stick with what he's given us, in, and that's where philosophy looks to theology. You know, what, what has God given us in the scripture? Uh, what has God given us in the example of Christ? Um, so God's love for us, you know, we were talking beforehand about making a distinction here between a focus on our love for God and God's love for us. And the focus today, we're clinging to God's love, his love for us. In fact, let me um, jump in there, John Mark, just to yeah. clarify for our audience. As John Mark and I worked at pulling together scriptures for today, if you did the digital search of the Bible, you would have hundreds of verses on love and lots of verses on our call to love God. But this is kind of unique, what we're looking at today. We've already covered earlier about our need to love God. But we're talking about something different, clinging tenaciously to his love. So that distinction. Right. Um, and so, you know, what is God's love? I mean, certainly throughout scripture, we have many descriptions. You know, love is patient, love is kind. We have the example of Christ, all the things that he says about love. That's certainly exemplifying God's love. But, but even though there's so many mysteries because Christ embodies those, but what does that look like in the sense of God as the, as the ultimate uh, originator, the creator of everything? Um, and again, just mysteries upon mysteries there. But we know that um, God is love. We also receive that. And we were talking earlier about grace. In some sense, that's what grace simply is. It's God's love. It's his originating causality in our lives and of our lives, um, when we look, it's, it's interesting to me, again, thinking of the distinction between our love for, for God and God's love for us, it's always necessary, and I think that's what uh, Cyprian is pointing our attention to here, it's necessary to put our recognition and affirmation of God's love first. You know, and, and that's, you know, not to steal any thunder here, but that's, that's the scripture we're ultimately uh, going to land on at the end here, which is that we, we love only because he first loved us. And, and it's not that we love God first and, and then and we're trying to understand his love. We have to lean on his love first, recognizing, affirm, affirming it, keeping it in our mind, and keeping our heart attached to that reality. In fact, why don't we, that's probably a good definitive verse to start with from First John four nineteen, And it's one of the shortest verses of scripture, but profound. We love because he first loved us. And, and there, I'd encourage a listener, if you haven't, to just get your drink of choice, your cup of coffee, 
and, and meditate on that, that meaning. We love because he first loved us. And that takes away the issue of whether we deserve it, because we don't. He loved us before we did an act, either to deserve it or to deny it or to, he loved us. It also tells me that if I want to look for a definition of what love is, I don't begin by looking at culture. I don't look for a model of love in the world around me. The model for love is him. We love because he loved us. And so we're trying to figure out what it means to love. And we looked at that a couple weeks ago. This one should have been first because we've got what is God's love? And that's the, yeah. def, the d- defining virtue, if you will, for all of the universe Yeah, is his love. Yeah, again, one of the things that, that brings in mystery here is that when we think of our loving God, we're able to tie that to actions. You know, we can, we can obey him. We do the Ten Commandments. We, we are members of his church. We do all the things that, that we've, we've come to understand, you know, are parts of our living out that love. From God's perspective, you know, again, philosophically, it gets really mysterious because God is, you know, never changes. You know, he is who he is. There's not, there's not the, the temporality, the movement, the changing that we undergo. Um, um, with, you know, with God, I think, uh, I don't have it in front of me here, but, you know, my favorite, favorite guy, Joseph Pieper here, in his book on the theological virtues, he, he made a point that, you know, another thing we receive from scripture is God's original love is creative. He created the universe. He creates us. And then in scripture, he looks at his creation and he affirms it is good. And I, I really liked his definition of, of all love, you know, ha- being bound up a little bit in that, what's going on there, that whether it's our love for God or our love for each other, something about the nature of love is a fundamental affirmation of the other. In other words, it is good that you exist. You know, from all for all eternity, God chose to create you and I. It's better for you to be than you not, for you not to be. He He chose us. He affirmed the goodness of ourselves. And so, even there, um, that always keeping that that um, that aspect of God's love in mind that He chose us first. As again, as it said here, He chose us first. He affirmed our existence first. He, he loved us into existence first. And that's where we receive our identity. We don't receive our identity from our self-discovery and learning how to love. We receive our identity from being loved first. Yeah. And I'm sure all listening here are aware of the clarifications that have been made many times from pulpits. And that is love is an action verb at its core. It's not primarily a feeling. The feeling heart is a part of it. Right. At least we recognize that affection. You know, C.S. Lewis has his book on the four loves. So we see the different ways love it plays itself out in friendship or um, in, in giving love and in agape or 
phileo, that's friendship, or storge, or um, eros. But let's just back away from that. We're, we're talking about something that's f- much more fundamental. Uh, most of us are familiar with what's called covenant theology. It's a way of understanding all of salvation history from the beginning to the end. And the covenants that God made with Adam and then Noah and then Abraham and uh, Moses and David and then through Christ, the new covenant. And we're, we're used to that. And they're all expressions of God's love. But you know, I, want, I might want to be challenging here and say that the reality is that behind the covenantal understanding of Scripture is one everlasting covenant that's expressed many times. And Scripture talks about the everlasting covenant. And what is the everlasting covenant? The simple way that Scripture addresses the everlasting covenant that God the Creator has made with His creation, with us, is in a simple Hebrew word called chesed. I need Father Pacwa here because he does those those, those <laughs> yeah. guttural words. <laughs> yeah, he yes. really does them well. <laughs> yes, but he does. it's the word that we translate steadfast love. Steadfast love. In fact, we Catholics particularly are used to liturgies. We're, we're used to, uh, um, not liturgy, you know, when we... Um, when we have a prayer where we repeat ourselves over oh, a litany, a litany, excuse me, a litany. Yeah. We're used to litanies. Well, where do we get the idea of litanies? Well, there is a litany in the Bible. There's a psalm that's a litany. It's Psalm 136. And it's a long psalm. But a litany begins with a phrase and then repeats a phrase. And what is the repeated phrase? For his steadfast love endures forever. Well, give thanks to the Lord for his good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Well, give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love endures forever. Over and over and over and over. Why? Because we're trying to help our mind and our heart remember. And as Cyprian said, to cling tenaciously to the steadfast love of God. Long before we even thought about it, he loved us. And it wasn't just that he had a feeling. He acted. He created us. He made us who we are, each one of us, in that unique mystery of his, that's his act of long before he did it first. And then demonstrated that freely, and he created us and then gave us freedom. That's the core of what we call agape love, a gift. And then the requirements in his love that he puts upon our lives that we sometimes in our stubbornness think are constraints are really because his love for us conveys what he knows is best for us. And so this is why he says, don't worship anybody else but me. It's not because he's selfish. It's because this, he knows, is the only way we can truly discover who we are is through our tenacious clinging to him. Otherwise, 
We, we almost looked at that verse about having no other, uh, who do you love, God or mammon? Well, that's because you could be tempted away to put your attachment to something else. But here he's saying, focus on the love of God. And this is the one thing that gives the foundation to everything else. Even the fear of God. You know, you've got to remember his steadfast love so that the fear of God is balanced correctly as opposed to a terror of God. No, it's a, it's a connection to his love. Another scripture, John Mark. So with that as a, a background, one again from the Old Testament, which is a way of expressing this, is that verse from Psalm 105. Why don't you go ahead and read that, John Mark, and throw sure. that into the mix. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. So again, uh, this gets into this mystery of God's love and that God is his love. You know, in God, there's not really any multiplicity. God is, he's identified with his action, with, um, we experience life as uh, divided, broken beings. I mean, that's the reason we can talk about love as being, well, it's an action, but not just a feeling. Well, that's because we live life as divided, uh, complicated beings. God is utterly simple. And so to seek God's love is to seek God. Uh, to love God is to love his action, his being, his substance, his identity. It's all, it's all one there. And so seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Um, we're always um, we're having to try to figure out in, in our life how to keep God's presence. It's, it's funny. It's, it's like that phrase, practicing the presence of God, which if you think about it, is kind of a funny phrase, you know, practicing the presence of God. Well, God doesn't need to come to us. He's already there. And we don't need to go to him because he's already here. But what do we mean by the practicing the presence of God, as Brother Lawrence put it? Right. It's that we're practicing keeping that awareness at all times. We're practicing clinging tenaciously to the reality that's always there, whether we notice it or not, whether we recognize it or not, that God is there. His love is steadfast and unchanging and eternal. And that it's only by being aware of that love um, and depending on it, leaning on it, receiving it, that we receive his strength, that, we, that we're that we able to, to grow in that grace and, and do what we need to do. But keeping that, you know, clinging tenaciously to that reality is part of the task here. Yeah, seeking, seeking. That, that again, meditate on, on what is prayer all about? What is living out our faith all about? What is carrying out the commandments of a, a Lord. It really involves a seeking after God. If our focus is about what, what do I need to do to better myself, then you're really not seeking after God. You're seeking after yourself and what God can do to make you happy. And what our Lord calls us to do is to cut through that and, and seek after him. Another verse is, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything else will follow suit. Yeah. The next scripture we had in line, John Mark, I, I, I'd like to talk about this one a little bit, because I've gone through an evolution of understanding this throughout my, my Christian life. Hmm. And um, it comes from Romans 8, 35, 30 through 39. When Paul writes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, back when I was a Calvinist evangelical pastor, I preached on this text many times. And it, it affirmed the idea of, in my view, once saved, always saved. Is that once you're in Christ, once you've surrendered your life to Christ by grace, there is nothing a person can do to lose that. You will be saved. And that's one of the most common views out there. That was in the view of Billy Graham and, and that whole branch if you will, of Christianity that I was a part of. And, and the truth is that that never sat exactly well with me because I had known people in my life who at one time had demonstrated a great commitment to Christ in many ways, but then had backslid and fallen away, even to the point of rejecting the faith completely. Well, what does that mean? What, what did that mean at the time? Does that mean it doesn't matter? They, they're still saved? Can they do anything they want? It's reputed that Luther once said that he could commit adultery 10,000 times in one day and not lose his salvation. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a big claim. But uh, is that what's being talked about here? And then in my spiritual journey, in being open to the Catholic faith and also being open to listening to my Arminian Wesleyan Methodist brothers and sisters, it, it, it made me aware that if you look at this scriptures through the aspect of salvation, the one thing it doesn't mention is ourselves. In other words, there's all these other things in the world that there's not a thing out there that can separate us from the love of God. But the one thing he doesn't mention is ourself. So that interpretation implies that we can fall away, that we can cease abiding in Christ if we turn away. If we don't cling tenaciously to the love of God, we can fall away. And so that's the way that I mostly understood it the last 20 so years. But maybe as I'm getting older, I'm starting to see it a little bit different again. And the difference that I'm seeing is to grow to appreciate God's love in a way that I didn't fully appreciate before. Because I'm in a way back to where I was earlier, but not from a once saved, always saved perspective, but realizing that there's not a thing we can do to turn God's love away from us. Nothing. No matter how bad we can be, that doesn't stop God from loving us. We may have rejected. We may have lost salvation. We may have destined ourselves for hell. 
because of our living. But that doesn't stop his love for us. And the reason I've come to appreciate that is that needs to be the model for a father and a son. That's the, that's the prodigal story of the prodigal son. That no matter how lost the son was, his father never ceased wanting his son back. That's the way God is with us. Clinging tenaciously as love involves our part of appreciating that God's love is such that there's nothing that can separate it from us except we can separate from him, but he'll still want us back forever. Right. No, that's a good distinction. I like that because, yeah, there is a sense in which uh, in reacting to the Calvinism, we could overreact into, I'm sure there are names of heresies that could go along with this, but an over-reliance on self. That, okay, this is all about me and my loving God and the things that I do. Well, no, that's not what it is either. It's, it's, it's precisely this. It's precisely clinging tenaciously to God's love. You know, yes, I have to make an act there. It's a small act. It's a pitifully small, you know, uh, weak, half-hearted act that I, I'm able to make in my love, my acceptance of God's love. It has to, it has to all be about relying on his love. Um, that's the only place we receive strength. And that's, again, with that, that previous verse, we have to seek the Lord in his strength, you know, not love the Lord by your own strength. You know, it's seek him, his love, his strength. And again, there's the mystery of grace because yeah. <clears throat> if we, we know from the writings of First John that if we love at all, it's proof that we're abiding in Christ because we can't love apart from his grace, which is one of the reasons why the church recognizes that when you see people outside the faith demonstrating authentic love, and you might say, well, what's all that about? I mean, they're not, they don't believe in Christ. They're not part of the church, yet they're acting in love. We recognize that grace is pervasive that's, there's conscience there, which is the, the presence of God in people. The conscience, God's, the, the understanding of God is, is, if you will, programmed in everyone. And we're free to respond to that. And that's why Paul says that if a person outside the law responds to conscience, they're responding to a law within themselves that God has planted there. So we see the act of love because that's the presence of God's steadfast love in everyone. The problem is that when you're apart from the graces, when you're apart from the church, when you're apart from that, you can be oblivious to the battle. You can be oblivious to the voices that are tempting us to misunderstand love, to misapply love to misinterpret love. <clears throat> Look at our culture today that has completely redefined sexual love. Well, who are they listening to? And so that's why we need the church that Christ gave us. That's why we need grace. We need the Holy Spirit so that we can understand what God's love truly is and we can, we, we can surrender, knowing that there's nothing we can do. So that draws us back to the prodigal son. So therefore, 
if we know there's nothing we can do and he loves us that much, it should draw us to our knees to say, all right, Lord, I want to be able to stand before you without embarrassment. And so that's the gift of your grace and forgiveness and the work of your steadfast love. Wow, John Mark, because of time. Look at the next one, uh, the, the second Thessalonians passage. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are do that you are doing and will do the things which we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And that's uh, again another interesting verse here, particularly that end part. This, this notion that we're asking asking God to direct our hearts to the love of God. Um, and bringing in the heart here is significant for me. The first thing that came to my mind when I was looking at uh, Cyprian's, uh, the item in his list, clinging tenaciously to his love, the heart is what kind of came to my mind uh, in particular in the sense of, um, you know, what, what things we were talking earlier, you know, as we drive in our cars, we go through life, how do we keep God's love in our minds? How do we keep in the presence of God? Well, the things that stay in our minds are the things that our hearts are attached to. And that's that's a good and a bad thing. That's a complicated thing because we're complicated people. Our hearts are divided. Oftentimes we find ourselves preoccupied with things other than God because, precisely because, our hearts are attached to things they oughtn't be attached to. So we pray that God purifies our hearts. We pray that that happens, but we also work on our hearts. We, we uh, you know, when we recognize that I have a, an attachment to various things in this world, I, I work slowly, carefully, patiently to detach myself, myself from those things um, because we want our hearts to be open to God, attached to God. Um, and, and that's really what purity of heart means. Again, I've, I've quoted it many times. I'm kind of a one-trick pony when it comes to my favorite quotes. Um, Kierkegaard <laughs> wrote that to uh, purity of heart is to will one thing. You know, when the when scripture talks about purity of heart, we're talking about the purity of heart in that your will is now undivided. You know, uh, God and his love and his strength, that's the first thing in my heart. And so that remains on my mind, that remains with me throughout the day, regardless of what's going on. I mentioned earlier that the way I, at least I understand salvation history is that though one can divide it up into multiple covenants, to me, beneath it all is one everlasting covenant that our God creator has made with his creation in which he calls us to love him. And when you look through scripture, the most common criteria from beginning to end in scripture is what is the condition of a person's heart? That's it. Because you can do everything great on the outside, but if your heart ain't right, then it doesn't matter what you do on the outside. That's where he talks about sacrifices. He says, I don't want more bulls and sheep, and I don't need your sacrifices. I want your heart. I want your heart. So what does he mean by that? Well, it's just what we're talking about. That this heart needs to be full of him. Yeah. Needs to cling tenaciously to his love. And when we're looking for that, what we're clinging to is the fact that he has given himself completely to us. Reminds me of what we said last week, preferring nothing to him. Why? Who preferred nothing to us. He gave himself to us. So we, 
We remember that. We cling. We remember. We remember. Like in that litany, we say over and over again, his steadfast love endures forever. So that that's what comes out of our heart, not as our Lord said, all that other junk that always comes out. So our heart comes forth is his love. Another verse to throw in here. We don't quote from Jude very often, but there's a great one in Jude this time. Jude 20 through 22. But you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. There's a, a lot of great stuff in that verse, really calling us in this, this area of, of, uh, of focusing our mind and heart on him. Build yourself up on your most holy faith. So that's, that he's talking about that being the, the foundation upon which our lives are to be built. Build yourself up on our most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. So in other words, it isn't just us. We're asking that the Spirit who knows deeper our needs than we do. Then keeping yourselves in love of God, that phrase, keeping yourselves in love, is really another way of saying what Cyprian said, clinging tenaciously to his love. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves there. With all the other voices trying to pull us off center to keep yourselves, and then waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, this really is a trusting, a waiting. Right. Yeah, you know, this verse kind of brings to mind how, uh, once again, the, so the, the, the church identifies the theological virtues that are, are mentioned in Scripture, faith, hope, and love. Um, and their the, theological virtues mean that they're given, they're something we receive from God. But what's also interesting is that they're all kind of bound up together. They're all kind of you know, three sides of the same phenomenon, you know, to keeping ourselves in the love of God depends on building ourselves up in faith and hoping in God, you know, like th this believing in God's love and hoping in his promises are bound up with our ability to, to really love God, to respond in love. So they're, they really, they all are uh, bound up with clinging tenaciously to God's love. They, they all refer first to God to what we receive first from him, and then we respond to that. You know, but there, there are grace, the theological virtues, there are grace that we received, this ability to, to trust in God and, and rely on and respond to his love. Yeah, in a very practical way, if we bring this around, again, if I have the image of, of us out in the world and out around, what does it mean? I think it, it means remembering that the reason each one of us is living right now, is existing, is evidence of his love for us. And it's recognizing that God indeed wants the best for us. He wants the best for everyone. He does. Now, we don't use the words, the world's definition of what best is because we want what God wants. He wants what's good for us, which defines 
the true meaning of happiness is what's good for you want God. We know that. And so with all the challenges we have in life, clinging tenaciously to his love meanings, trusting that his way is the best way, that what he wants for us is the best for us. It doesn't mean it won't involve great challenges. In fact, when you look at Scripture, it likely will have many challenges. will be tested, as James talks about. That's, but that's the best for us. In fact, James says that very thing, right? John Mark, we, we started talking about that along, counted all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. It, it strikes me that sometimes we and Christians in general can kind of go throughout the world and look at events and things. We can look at what's happening around us and and we're looking for evidence of God's love. And there's, it's not necessarily a, a bad thing, but we almost, you can get the cart before the horse there a little bit in the sense of the, the interpretation you go to the world with, to your life with depends on the fundamental state of your heart fundamentally in your heart you're responding to the theological virtues if you're if you are um, acting out of faith hope and love then you go to your life and you count it all joy you make a choice to interpret the world um, as evidence of god's love you can't understand what's going on you can't see the reasons or the, or the whys behind it you can't see the tapestry but you re- but you believe even in uncertainty, even during difficulty, that God's love remains steadfast. Because if it doesn't, if it, if you're not acting out of those basic, uh, that, that basic predisposition, predisposition of your heart, the theological virtues, again, then you can get really dis- discouraged or, or disappointed by events, you know, because you're expecting each event to be uh, perfectly intelligible, you know, perfect evidence, perfectly, you're relying on on circumstances to sort of build you up, but uh, you have to go to it with um, this tenacious clinging to the love of God, because that's that's the reality. It's the fear of that reality, um, the respect of that reality, the truth of that reality that uh, that makes sense of what our of our lives. I mentioned earlier that if we did a digital search of Scripture, you can come up with hundreds of verses that talk about our need to love God. And the truth is that when you look at what it means to love God, truly means for us to love God, the core of that means clinging tenaciously to his love. It's all wound up in there. Trusting in his love. That, And so when we recognize that he loves us, he acted in creating us, he put us in the time we're living he, he didn't, we weren't born a hundred years ago or a hundred years from now. We we're born now. And somehow in the mystery of his love, that's a part of his plan for us. And so we trust that. And when, in trusting that, when things start going bad, that's when he says, cling tenaciously to my love. Because we're tempted to doubt or to question Oh, boy, that was a stupid decision I made all those years ago. Cling tenaciously to his love. Yeah. And when we remember that his love 
And doing this is what really defines our love for him. Then that opens up all those other scriptures that talk about our love. And I'm going to throw one more in, which we were going to discuss. But and that's that wonderful verse in Romans 8:28. We know that in everything, God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose is his love. And so there you have that partnership so that what it frees us up doing is when we're stuck making a major decision, oh, Lord, what's your will? Oh, Lord, I want, I want to do this, but what's your will? You know, drop down the stone tablets and tell me <laughs> what your will is. Yeah. And what he's saying is that what's most important is remembering his love for us and then loving him. If, if the motive behind our decision is loving him and holding his love, he'll work out those decisions yeah. for what's best for us. And that's not just the major decisions, but even the most minor. In fact, I think in that context, if we look at everything in light of God's love, our distinctions of what appears to us as major or minor are kind of meaningless distinctions. There's only God's will and whether I'm cooperating with it in this moment, letting it be done in me, or I'm not. There's no big big decisions or little decisions or big acts or important things or unimportant. There's just God's will for my life right now or not. Most of the problems we see in the world around us, the craziness is, is that people are no longer clinging tenaciously to the love of God. Or they're, they're defining for themselves who God is. Or they're defining for themselves what they think God wants for our lives. They're defining for themselves what they think God wants is right or wrong. If they even think that there's a God at all. But tenaciously clinging to the love of God involves humility. Yeah. Detachment. Simplicity. Others focused. You know, that... You know, that's, that's really our call. Yeah. And it's especially especially true for Christians. I mean, the, certainly the problems in all the world are, are come back to that. Um, but the problems in the church, the problems in our lives come back to that. You know, when we, even though in theory we believe in God's love and we're wanting to do good things, we're wanting to build the kingdom, we're wanting to build up the church, wanting to speak the truth, but we're clinging tenaciously to something other than God the reality of his providence, of his will, then we, that's where we end up with, with division and fighting. And, um, you know. Yeah, I might close with a thought, John Mark, is that our work in the Coming Home Network, which we've been doing now for how many years? You know, 27 years. You know, on the one hand, it's seen primarily as helping non-Catholic Christians become Catholic, and that's really the, the focus of, of what we're doing. Well, why do we do that? You know, is it because... Uh, of the the strict, more traditionalist understanding of no salvation outside the church, that you got to have that name on the list. It's not about that. If anything, it's about being able to be certain what God's love is. Because outside the church, outside the teaching of the church, guided by the Holy Spirit, are conflicting voices everywhere. Does that mean that everybody 
who's a Catholic has got it all perfect? No. Because when you look at the people in the church, there's an awful lot of us in the church that aren't clinging tenaciously to the love of God. It's a mess. Yeah. It's a mess. But we believe that God established a church in his apostles, gave the deposit of faith that is to be clinged to. That's what the early fathers would talk about. If you, if you go to our Deep in History podcast, and Monsignor and I are talking about Ignatius, Irenaeus's book on Against Heresies, he's talking about holding on to that apostolic tradition that we received, because it's in that that we can know truly what God's love is and how to understand it, how to live it out in our lives, as opposed to get caught up with every wind of doctrine, which is the reason why we want people to come home to the fullness so that a person can know the fullness of Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Trinity and the sacraments in our life together in Christ. All right, Jamrock, once again, I feel like we've done nothing more than scratch a surface on a, on a, on a wonderful topic presented by Cyprian. Next week, the topic will be standing by his cross with loyalty and courage whenever there is any conflict involving his honor and his name. Hope you all join us next week on another episode of Deep in Scripture. See you then. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, Participate in our online community forum and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.